0: Agenda This Week revisits a perspective broadcast earlier this year which considered the development of our constitution, constitutional monarchy and whether the Lord of Man might be more correctly titled King of Man. Advocate Peter Cannell has some interesting thoughts on the topic and we also hear from Jane Glover about receiving her MBE from the man who has now become King. Peter Cannell is an experienced Manx advocate, and in this piece gives a thoughtful consideration of our constitutional monarchy. If we go back into the depths of time, you know, the, the first ruler of man, we're told, was Mananan Machlia uh, no written evidence of that, but um, certainly various songs and, and folklore. Um, but but in terms of the written evidence, it's not really until the uh, the Chronicles of the Kings of Man and the Isles that we, we start to get a feel for actual kings in the Isle of Man.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly there appears to be some form of kingdoms or tribes or clans running before Godred. Um, but the Chronicles seem to indicate that with the death of the King of Norway at Stamford Bridge, Godred Crovan took the opportunity to come back around to the West Coast, which he was very familiar with, and he conquered Man and the Isles and effectively created it as a separate kingdom beholden to no one. Um, And if you read the Chronicles, uh, it appears not only did he control the Hebrides, the Isle of Man, but he had the Kingdom of Dublin under his belt, and he had um, uh, Anglesey as well, so it was quite a large kingdom he managed with. Um, and he certainly seemed to be completely sovereign within it.
0: And, and and that that might be quite a difficult concept uh, for the the twenty first century listener to get their heads round. That in 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 essence, the Isle of Man uh, was the centre of a kingdom which uh, pretty much ruled all the key spots in our part of the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, best to think of it almost like. One of the major trade routes you had to go from Norway to the Mediterranean either went down the east coast of Great Britain or down the west coast, and the east coast meant you went through uh, the North Sea, which was not safe, particularly with pirates off the what we would now call the Netherlands. Um, so it was safer to sail down through the the Western Isles and the Irish Sea, and that's where Godred Crovan and the Kingdom of Man and the Isles was. Uh, providing protection and obviously taking taxes on the way past.
0: And 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 I suppose then moving on, um obviously the, the kingdom was established. Um it, it it didn't last for a very long time, certainly when you look at the the British monarchy, um, but it it had a fair crack, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean you're looking at about two hundred years um of the Croven dynasty, um, finishing in a bit of a mess up when um the the then king of Norway decided he's going to try and reinsert sovereignty over the Western Isles. He Actually, the, the full story is quite fascinating, where he actually has to fight his way down through the Western Isles to bring all the various clans in line um, before he could get to the Battle of Largs. So even though he had this mighty fleet, they, they were basically, yeah, they were there because they were told they had to be there, not because they wanted to be there.
0: Well, I suppose it would be interesting then to hear a little bit about the eventual decline of the, of the, the Manx Empire, for want of a better word. How, how did that all eventually end up with the English crown effectively being the, the, the one to which we look to in, in terms of our allegiances?
1: Well, there's some interesting links there. The last of the um, Viking monarchs, for want of a better word, was Af- Queen Africa. And she um, came in along with the Montacutes. She actually gave her rights and regalities to the Montacutes, who then invaded the Isle of Man and drove out the Scots because it had been fought over between the Scots and the English during the Scottish Wars of Independence. Um, and then he then, uh, Montacute then sells it to Le Scroop. He basically sounds a bit of a guy we wouldn't want as king. He loses his head um and as a result of that henry the um fourth decides that he's going to effectively acquire the isle of man by right of conquest and at that moment we effectively become a possession of the royal crown or the the, the british crown um henry the fourth so he then gives a a feudal right to the stanleys who effectively act as kings in the isle of man uh but um pay a couple of pairs of falcons for the privilege to um, the king so the, 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 I mean the,
0: this, this is the bit that starts getting interesting from a constitutional point of view uh, possession of the British crown what does that actually mean?
1: Um, it means we're not're not a we're not part of the dominion of what is now the United Kingdom we are effectively a separate kingdom of which the monarch happens to be the same person that sits on the throne of the United Kingdom. So a bit like the, you know, the Queen, the present moment, the Queen holds the Queen of Canada, Queen of Australia, various other places. That's the relationship we have. It's very, very different uh, to any of the others um, who are actually by rights of conquest and places like that. We, we were actually kept separate. Um, and effectively, we've run ourselves as the throne of home rule, as we say in our national anthem ever since.
0: I mean the story goes that the the Stanleys decided that rather than become than be petty kings uh, you know, kings of man, they would uh, rather be grand lords um so they changed the title um is that um how it actually happened and is the title lord of man appropriate for 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 the ruling monarch uh, or is that um uh, would it be better to actually Call Queen Elizabeth the Second. Queen Elizabeth the Second of Man.
1: I would, uh, I would think. My my opinion is her correct title would be Queen of Man. So Elizabeth the Second Queen of Man. Um, Lord of Man was the. There's a very interesting um, speech given by uh, William Kane, uh, former first deemster, and and of course me being an advocate, I'm never going to. Uh, if the first deemster has ruled that way, I'm going to stand by it. Uh, um, the, the The main thing was what the Stanleys essentially they want they were having to deal with Henry VIII when they decided to stop calling themselves kings. And I don't think you want to mess around around the court of Henry VIII calling yourself a, a petty king per se. But I think it's quite interesting though. James Stanley the second Stanley, when he came over to the Isle of Man in 1422, so that's how far back it was effectively constituted a constitutional monarchy system in the Isle of Man where we had an absentee lord stroke king and we had a Timwald that actually advised the lieutenant governor and the lieutenant governor who actually was the executive. Um, So it's quite interesting to look back that we were quite advanced in the way that we ran our country Um, because 1422 was a long time ago.
0: Around about that time, or shortly afterwards, uh, the 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 Stanleys uh, had a bit of a squabble as to who who would be the the success or the successor Lord, and uh, we ended up with two female governors.
1: That that's right. Um, Ferdinando Stanley um, was poisoned under mysterious circumstances. I mean, I think it's brilliant that we had a a monarch, uh, a king called Ferdinando, anyway, <laughs> and his eldest daughter. Um, the Countess of Castlehaven ended up being the lieutenant governor um, while they tried to sort out who inherited it. Because his brother William said it was going to be him and the court said, no, we have no jurisdiction in the Isle of Man. It's a separate country. So that's one of our leading cases towards independence to show that we are a separate sovereign nation. Countess uh, Castlehaven is quite fascinating anyway because she was the first wife to successfully sue her husband in an English court. Uh, for violence in the house. And then following her, her um, sister-in-law, sorry, daughter-in-law, um, which Elizabeth de Vere, she was uh, wife of William. Um, she ended up being lieutenant governor and at one point actually being lord of man um, during the interregnum. But in the, while they were trying to sort all this mess out, Elizabeth I, uh, Elizabeth uh, Tudor, actually became uh had ended up with full regality, so we ended up with uh Elizabeth the First Queen of Man, uh so we can have Elizabeth the Second Queen of Land Man too.
0: Queen Elizabeth then takes effectively the, the, the full uh control over the the island, uh but appoints uh, governor um because clearly she wasn't going to be coming to, to spend much time in, in Castle Russian. Um how did things develop after that?
1: Well, she gave it, when the Stanleys took back control over it, things were going along until we have uh, the Stanley that's known as Stan Stan Stanlachmua, more famous as the villain of the piece with Ilium Doan. When you actually realise what he tried to do, he really is the villain of the piece. He decided that he was going to overturn all our ancient customs and effectively land grab all the, the land that we'd ever farmed. And the result of that was a lot of the farms were abandoned. The place was going down the the tubes fast. Um, And that's where we end up with um, a whole series of of years of conflict where we try to insist to get our land rights back as Manx people. Um, And eventually the last Stanley did give us uh, what we were looking for, which was the right to inherit land going right back to time immemorial. so that's where you'll find some of the, the big family names have farms still that are still in their names that have never been sold and transferred because they have the rights to those lands.
0: And and that differs with uh, in relation to the British uh, system because effectively the, the, the monarch ha- owned everything, was that it? Or H- how did that work?
1: Well, it, it's better to compare it to what happened in Ireland where that didn't happen and as a result of that... Um, the Irish found themselves dispossessed of their own ancestral lands, became tenants and then were shipped away so that these big farms could be established. The same happened in the west coast of Scotland, where the the ruling elite effectively took over all the land. So, um, you know, that's what's kept us as a, as a separate and sovereign country, is the fact that we can trace these right back to the original Viking and Celtic roots.
0: So then uh, we had the Revestment Act, 1765. Um, yeah. what, what was the significance of that?
1: What it did was it took the sovereignty that the the then Athels then had uh, and took it back off them and gave it back to the crown as a possession of the crown. So from that moment onwards, arguably there was no need to have a lord of man because we now had a king of man in the form of George the third, and then George the fourth, and so on. So, so then,
0: uh, effectively, no great constitutional developments uh, until, I suppose, uh, the 1960s, when the Isle of Man government started to become a real government. And uh, when, when I say that, I mean it. Was, uh, the government was done by the elected representatives, as opposed to the the governor uh, with his council. Uh, and and then i suppose from there we we develop into the system we have today um how 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 effective do you think our system actually is i mean bearing in mind we don't have a written constitution so it, it, we we can kind of play uh, various games with this can't we
1: well yeah i mean i always <laughs> i jokingly say to my friends across that you know we're small enough we can make the rules up as we go along um but we've actually got uh, the the we have a constitutional monarchy where the defenders of the rule of law, uh, i.e. the police, the judiciary, uh, may uh, swear an oath of allegiance to the crown, which keeps them independent from Timwald, and therefore free of any influence that Timwald could bear on them. In this is in theory. Um, obviously, everybody else has their own opinions about this, but this is what the structure is, um, which means that, you know, Uh, nobody is above the law. Um, And having an absentee uh, monarch, head of state, effectively, which we have, allows us that ability to bypass um, the greed of man and be able to enforce um, the laws the way we do. So we have a proper separation of powers. We have a proper constitutional monarchy, um, probably... With less uh, in day-to-day interference than uh, the Queen has in the UK, uh, even though she has very minimal, but we do have a, an international representation in the form of the Queen and her good services through um, the consulate and um, defence. Couldn't couldn't
0: we though just go down the route that many countries have? Certainly, our our, our closest neighbour to the west, um, the Republic of Ireland, in in which they have chosen to elect a head of state. Um, why, why would we cling on to something which, you know, bearing in mind the history you've just described, uh, you know it's 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 far from a glorious past. I mean, what what would be the disadvantages for going down the route of an elected head of state?
1: Well, the, the biggest disadvantage, I suppose, would be the influence and presence that head of state has in the world. I mean, the most fascinating thing about having the same monarch. That is the monarch almost throughout most of the Commonwealth countries that still have a constitutional monarchy, is that we're part of that Commonwealth and we're within that influence. Now, arguably, you can say the same if we have a president, because some have gone down those routes before. The advantage of, of electing a president would maybe would feel a lot closer to home, um, but then, of course, you then have all those influences and petty politics that go on internally, which the head of state currently would rise above. I mean. To be perfectly honest, I'm not sure uh, the Queen is particularly bothered about an argument in the middle of Andrus over something or, you know, uh, <laughs> a dispute of the land in Ronag or something like that. Whereas if you had an elected president from the Isle of Man who was born and bred, there may be a degree of influence in there. Or even if there isn't, there's that implied connection. Um, you know, there's always that standing joke, isn't it, that people from the South don't trust people from the North and vice versa, you know. I mean, and rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't talk about the, the civil war deliberately since since I've discovered that the South actually won, which really hurts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're listening to Manx Advocate, Peter Cannell. I, I suppose the other uh, side to the, the, the question then is, um, what, what are the potential disadvantages from having a uh, constitutional monarchy?
1: The advantage of having a constitutional monarchy, as he said, is, is the way we have. And and to be perfectly honest, the other ones cost. The disadvantage of going for for a constitutional monarchy is there can be a historical baggage there, but then I I would always ask the question is whether we can rise above it. I mean, we need to look from history and we need to be proud of some of our history, but some of it isn't grand. Um and ironically, having uh the the disadvantage that we've had with in the past when the monarchy was almost far more feudal than he is now um was what we saw with with um the great stanley trying to grab all the land you know there can be overarching powers i mean the lieutenant governor's tried to use it too as well which is why james brown was famously thrown in jail and and so was peter peter norris's dad and all the other journalists for publishing things that timould and the the lieutenant governor didn't like you know those sort of arbitrary powers have gone um which is great. Um, the, ultimately, I think, to be perfectly honest, we we are we have to cut our cloth to the size that we are. We're a small island and we need a system that works best for us. Um, and anything that increases the costs of running the island with no perceivable economic benefit may be something we shouldn't be thinking about. Plus the fact, I always have this sort of feeling, you know, if it ain't too broke, don't fix it uh that's i always joke that we keep things going longer than most other people which is why we have steam trains horse drawn trams and the biggest water wheel in europe
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, and, and i suppose in, in terms of that ain't broke don't fix it thing uh you, the royal family has had a, a scandal or two in, in in recent years and um you know but for for a- accidents of of birth uh we could have ended mm-hmm. up with uh, prince andrew uh, potentially become, becoming the next king. That's pro- that would probably um, rather rapidly force a rethink on, on the whole idea of constitutional monarchy.
1: Yeah, because essentially you're looking at a cost, again, a cost-benefit analysis. If we're associated with someone who is, uh, doesn't have that moral standing that we all expect the sovereign to be, um, changes the whole thing because then it puts us in a bad place on the world stage. That's always that sort of level of of calculation. But we've got to also be very careful not to confuse the position of monarch and the person that fills that position. You know, there's a sort of ongoing thing. It's like um, the Bishop of and Man uh, is is a title that has gone on for centuries, but there's been individuals that have been in there, some of which uh, maybe, uh, shall we say, haven't covered their uh, purple cloth with glory, and some of them that have, you know, so you've got to differentiate between the actual position, the role, and the individual that's trying to fulfil that role. And again, that's again where the um, constitutional monarchy comes in, because I know in practice it's not been done, but in theory, you know, um, we can actually challenge the monarch. And in fact, actually, if you look at our history, we have done so uh, when we've not been happy, particularly in the Viking times, when people have turned up and said, I'm king of man, and they've gone, no, you're not. Um, That was the big battle at Ronalds Way, which the Manx won against the Scots back in the 1200s, 1300s, where somebody turned up and said, I'm the king, and they went, no, you're not. We're not having you. So there is a degree of um, sovereignty by acceptance by the people as distinct to sovereignty by force.
0: That was Manx Advocate Peter Cannell. I spoke earlier this year to Jane Glover MBE about receiving her honour.
2: Yes, um, I remember the phone call distinctly. It was a Sunday evening in November, and as I say, my first reaction was, sorry, don't deserve it. Um, the then-governor, Sir Richard Gosney, said, if you'd like to think about it, that's fine, which I did. Um, so then it was a case of keeping it secret. I did tell my husband on pain of death, um, but that was it. And it was revealed on the New Year's Eve. And I seem to recall the other breaking news that uh, that Eve was to do with Covid again. So <laughs> 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 bit of an irony.
0: Yes, timely. Um, and, and then, of course, the, the other element to this is that uh, you have to. Well, you don't have to, but um, you can uh, have a trip away to actually receive this honour.
2: Yes, um, mine was delayed. I was given the opportunity of having it over here because of the circumstances, but I decided to wait. And I'm truly glad that I did. Um, I got a booklet because, as I say, I hadn't really... I'd never thought about the honours system and how it worked. But initially it was just military honours, and then it was introduced in the 1930s that civilians would be recognised. And when you look at the things that people have done voluntarily a lot of them for their communities so when i was at windsor chatting to people prior to receiving my mbe that really warmed my heart because some of the people there were people that just did what they did for the love of it for their people so having a commendation like this really reinforced what they were doing such inspiring stories it was a fabulous thing to go to um I did lose my husband at the start of the event, but I found him by the end, so but yes, that's that, that that's the thing I found really um most enjoyable about the event. Um and I was lucky enough to have my award presented by Prince Charles, who of course has been to the Isle of Man, recognised the Manx Tartan Sash, so was talking about the Isle of Man um and how we'd fed during Covid. Um, and two days after I returned, I received an email um, because he had COVID. And I was classed as a, a close contact of Prince Charles at the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and th- in terms of the actual event, presumably it's not just a case of rocking up five minutes before and uh, uh, taking your seat. Um, there would be security uh, and, and all this sort of stuff.
2: A fabulous welcome. Um, and you get moved from room room. To room throughout rooms that probably the public never see um, but all the staff and all the welcomers fantastic so you, you rock up about half nine ten in the morning and you're gone by 130 in the afternoon um, so yes we saw various different rooms um, we were masked up at the time um, I stumbled into one lady who I later worked out was Dawn French so it's strange who you meet in these places
0: and um, in, in terms of the uh, event then um, the lasting memory of of, of the whole thing?
2: Uh, all the people that I met the stories that I heard the people that I chatted to I think that was probably my, um, my favourite element and being able to curtsy without falling over.
0: That was Jane Glover MBE No agenda next week because of the bank holiday but we'll be back the following week with a healthy dose of politics. Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the programme, or indeed if you have any ideas for future shows. Don't forget the programme is available as a podcast on Manx Radio's website. For now though, I'm Phil Gorn. Guru thanks for listening.